0: Swag them And is welcome that, to another episode of, of this, so Toyo and Geek uh, Podcast by Webster Style, where we talk about bow ties, comic books, I mean, everything in between. I right am your host, Webster Thank Style, Man, The Voice, nice. The Fragrance. Coming back one more time, and let's jump right into the download. Now, I am very much an anime fan. I'm not as big of a fan as I used to, simply because... When I cut my teeth in anime, there wasn't a lot of options, so we kind of watched everything. Now, with the plethora of streaming services and anime is everywhere, I kind of watch what I'm comfortable with and I dabble in new stuff every now and again because there's just so much to get into. And one of the classic series that uh, really held a lot of weight when I was cutting my teeth on anime in the 90s uh, mid to late 90s, early 2000s, was the record of the Lotos War. Uh, back in the day, we had a very limited selection of anime, and this is one of the ones that uh, offered something different compared to the uh, Akira's and the Robotechs and the MD guys and things that were on the video shelves at that point in time. And recently, I discovered a relatively new game called... Um, what is it called yeah record of the lotus war Dilitz in wonder labyrinth and this is a uh 2d metroidvania style game set in the world of the record of lotus war um in this game you control the high elf Dilitz Who finds herself in a strange, interconnected labyrinth filled with her past foes and companions. The game focuses on exploration, searching for items, power-ups, and fighting bosses and mini-bosses. Very much in the vein of... Castlevania Symphony of the Night. Now playing through the game, now I haven't finished the game, but I've I've played it for an hour or so, and I have to say I'm really impressed. It's a beautiful game, but it seems like Metroidvania style games or games that find that inspiration from Symphony and the Light are a dime of a dozen nowadays, which is so it's hard to stand out. And I think it's a pretty game, the mechanics seem cool. I felt like I was playing Symphony of Night when playing this game, which is not a bad thing, but if that was the case, I'd just go back and play uh, Symphony of Night. So it's not a bad game at all. Mechanics are good. Like, technically speaking, it's solid. Visually speaking, it's beautiful. It is definitely, if you're into these sort of games, I feel like it's a game you'll definitely find a lot of enjoyment in, and you'll spend lots of hours in, For me, I am not a huge metroidvania fan, uh, especially when it's a game that's very much a carbon copy is disrespectful to this game, but when it's so much in that vein of what really is and are the pinnacles of the metroidvania genre, a game like this will very easily get lost in the mix so uh, with that, that's one of the reasons why I'm recommending I think if you're into that game type you'll really enjoy it um, if you're not and just an anime fan you'll probably enjoy it as well you can find this game on every platform um, for I believe it's twenty four ninety nine on every platform Switch, Steam, uh, PS4 5, um, Xbox 1, Series, Series and also it's on Game Pass which is how I played it, so if you are if you are a subscriber to Game Pass it's Three ninety nine for you. I will say though, just from that price point, especially looking at other games that have come out, um, it may be a bit high of a price point for what that game is, considering its competition in that genre. Uh, I know that we are we have a myriad of prices, and AAA games are really pushing up toward that sixty nine ninety nine mark, especially for Sony and those ilk trying to push that. But for, $25.99, for $25 for this Pennsylvania style game, it may be a bit high price for what it's offering when you can get games that are similar and better for cheaper. So that's something to think about if you're looking to purchase this game um, down the line. I would honestly say probably wait for a sale to pick it up if you're in that in that uh, sort of genre or you're looking for a game of this genre. Uh, Sales come around quite a lot lately. So that's my take on Record of the Lotus War, The Lit in Wonder Labyrinth. Now let's go to the spotlight. Now the spotlight is, spotlight is family. Uh, The spotlight this week is the Blurred Mom. Now the Blurred Mom podcast is a podcast about a woman who is nerdy, blurred, a Gen Xer mom, Sabrina, the Blurred Mom, hosts the show along with her husband, Will, and you've heard Will on this podcast before, who calls himself a color commentator. They talk about loads of topics, some nerdy, some not so nerdy, and bring you along for the ride. So this is, like I said, um, Will is someone whom I've known for over 25 years and... Uh, His wife, Sabrina, the Blurred Mom, is somebody who I've known just as long. Uh, Side note, I was there the day that they met back in college, so it's always kind of cool to have that story as well. But it is an informative podcast. And and one of the things I say, much in the reason why, personally, I love listening to um, the Blurred Corn Speaks podcast with Montel and Angie. I like hearing sort of the different viewpoints in nerd them, in blurred them. Um, I like hearing individuals who are from my generation, the Gen Xers. Um, I like hearing from, from women. I'm very much a proponent of married couples working together. I, I like hearing the, the Gen Z and the millennials talk because I get to learn so many different things. And even um, listening to this podcast, I've known these people for 25 years of things I find out about some of their interests that I never knew before even though we've had many conversations and many adventures together over the years so I find it completely interesting and I know these people personally so I'm absolutely positively sure that you will get a lot of enjoyment and insight from listening to the Blurred Mom podcast with Sabrina and her color commentator Will so check them out the links to the show will be in the show notes or you can find her on instagram or twitter at the blurred mom so that's that for the podcast spotlight now let's get into the short takes it's it seems like 2022 just picked up from 2021 with the number of high profile deaths that occurred it's weird at the end of any given year is always these high profile deaths that you never saw coming uh that happened but it seems like with 2022 is like oh 2021 that's how you end up well we're gonna start like this so in this past couple of weeks of 2022 these two weeks uh we've lost so many luminary and remarkable people in our society and culture not just the united states but worldwide wide excuse me uh we've lost bishop desmond tutu We've lost uh, James Mutuade, great musician, and the person I'm going to just speak about briefly that we've lost recently is Sidney Poitier. Sidney Poitier, if you have been living under a rock, uh, is the first African American male to ever win an Oscar, and he won an Oscar Best Actor Oscar for *Lilies of the Field* um, 1964, if I remember correctly. But Belafonte, outside of being a world Class actor was always a world class activist for civil rights and human rights, and he was such a luminary when it came to just how we should be as human beings. And it's sad to see that someone who done so much passes away. But it's also much like Betty White, even Bishop Desmond Tutu. These people were very watching to live very long lasting lives each and every one of them their impact have touched generations of people on this planet not just they were here did their work and they were gone no, they kept working for decades, they kept whether it's entertainment, whether it's human rights, they kept pushing until the very last day doing whatever they could to make the world a better place for not just some of us, but for all of us. And even though I'm speaking on Sydney Poitier, this really goes to a lot of those who we've lost, those luminaries that we've lost in the past few weeks, let alone how the last two years have gone. So I want to say rest in peace, Sydney Poitier. Thank you for all of your contributions. And thank you for being an example to the world of specifically what a black man is thank you now let's go into something a little bit different they released the trailer they as in NBC Universal Peacock released the trailer for the reimagining of the French Prince of Bel-Air titled Bel-Air now this stemmed from a concept short film trailer that was released a year or two ago and Will Smith loved it and picked it up to turn it into a Full show so now this version of the Fresh Prince of Bel Air is a drama and it's very much in the frame of a you know to me 2020 universe where Will wasn't just getting roughed up, there was a lot more of an undecided to why he was sent to Bel Air. And he really is, I think this being a drama is really going to highlight the fish out of water, this clash of worlds, more dramatically, um, to quote a phrase, uh, than the original series did. And I was very skeptical when this was announced, but seeing the trailer is definitely something I will uh, look into once it comes on. I think it could be a very good show. It all... I think that this is a show that could really talk about blackness in a way that other shows can't or don't. Because you don't have this drama where you have this poor kid from Philly. And what... How blackness is defined when you're poor, when you're from the inner city. uh, And that sort of connotation as far as being black to going to Beverly Hills and you have black people who are affluent who are well connected, there is a duality there that I think within the black community that we have always had to fight against, at least in my existence, I know a lot of extends from historically as far as how we were treated in this country, yada 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 We all know the deal. However, I think that could be a very interesting character study in blackness, um, in what it means to be black, what it means to be African-American and also what money does or can do in the society going forward in the context of, of race and social class and obviously social class and money goes hand in handy as far as where class you're in but I think that it has an opportunity really to do something that a lot of shows that are out now even the dramas don't do well uh, a lot of shows that have done it in the past are very soap opera-y and I'm looking more so like the have and have not things have been on own. Really anything that Tyler Perry does right now, <laughs> and not to besmudge uh, Tyler Perry, but it's very much soapy. I think that Air has an opportunity to really present, if not fresh ideas, looking at some age old ideas in a different light in 2022. So I'm looking forward in that regard. Now moving on from Billa, let's talk about some wrestling. There were a lot of other things that I wanted to uh, try to get into with this as far as wrestling is concerned. It has been a weird two weeks in wrestling from WWE having more releases. They released some Joe again. I don't get that anyway at least Stephen regal william regal whatever name he wants to go by which doesn't make any sense anyway uh the hard to kill pay-per-view from impact was amazing rh officially quote-unquote went on hiatus so you see a bunch of rh guys showing up in other other wrestling alliances associations what have you and one of those that they've been showing up in is nwa now i have become a huge fan of the nwa i I think i've spoken about it before uh, with regards to my love for nwa and how it really hooked me with the initial 10 pounds of gold series a few years ago and then when they brought back their television show power on youtube it was the literally the only wrestling show i watched religiously every single week at the time it came on. Now the only other show I'd watch religiously up in that point was NXT, but I would kind of watch it during the week, as it as it sat there on Peacock or Hulu or whatever wherever I watched it at the time. But I had to watch NWA Power at 6 p.m. on Tuesdays. Well, when they got to the second season after the pandemic, they switched to Fight TV. I have an issue with subscription services. I don't want any more. And this ended up being a package where you paid $4.99 to get NWA Power. So they took all of the Power episodes off of YouTube. So now they were on Fight TV, still for free. But the new ones that they were producing and showcasing were part of this $4.99 subscription. As much as I love the NWA, I wasn't paying $4.99 for the NWA. Not when, say, compared to Peacock, where I have a whole lot more, get them a whole lot more for my money. In that regard, so yes, it's four dollars four ninety nine is is relatively cheap, but still, when I'm looking at getting the most from my money, that wasn't it. So recently, so I kept up with NWA. They put a couple things on YouTube, and I'm always on the Instagram, the one nine, and reading what happens. I still am a supporter in that regard, but I got the news that. They were back on YouTube. So now they're not just on YouTube with NWA Power, their flagship show, which is now debuting on Fight First and then YouTube a few days later. And and this is the thing. I think they've actually made a more compelling deal for getting a subscription on Fight Now. Because now, instead of the $4.99 monthly where you just get NWA Power, they're now offering a yearly subscription for $49.99 where you get the first runs of NWA Power but you also get all of their pay-per-views. And I believe they've done two to three pay-per-views a year of year. And each one of their pay-per-views is 20 bucks. So if you buy two pay-per-views or two and a half pay-per-views, you get your money's worth right there for the entire year. So I think that's a really compelling deal. But not just that they've moved NWA Power back to YouTube, which now I'm watching, but they also have another show. NWA USA where they're focusing on the national title and I believe the light heavyweight tournament is going on there as well now I haven't watched the episode of NWA USA yet but if you are a wrestling head it is a wonderful time to be a lover of wrestling with NWA and also I've recently checked out MLW as well at least the NW, MLW Azteca um offshoot programming from them because I was very much a fan of, of Lucha Underground and they're taking elements and, and also the general manager from Lucha Underground is playing a very similar if not the same role um, in uh, MLW Azteca so I am really loving it so if you're into wrestling this is a wonderful time for all of us to be in wrestling and then the last thing I want to get to is Scream now there have been a plethora of remakes, reboots over the years. I've, I've talked about my love for horror movies. I've talked about, more recently, uh, Halloween. It's it's so bad, I forget. Halloween, whatever the last Halloween movie was called. Um, I put it out of my memory because I, I so thought it was... Well, you heard my review on the movie. Anyway, one franchise I've never been a humongous fan of is the Scream franchise i saw the first movie back in the day and as much as i love west craven and the work that he's done and did um when he was on this earth i never was a fan of the scream series i scream series i thought it was okay but not like oh this is awesome like i love this um how it subverted the horror genre I'm, I'm not one of those those people i I thought it was okay. I've always thought Scream was pretty mediocre. And I've seen one, two, and three. I skipped four. I will say, when I saw the trailers for this Scream reboot, I was impressed. I'm like, okay, the way they're cutting this, the way this story is setting up, this might actually be something that was interesting. And I say that because one of the things about Scream, Scream was this... Series, especially the initial one, where it really wanted to subvert the horror genre. It really played on all of the horror tropes, uh, especially, more importantly, slasher movie tropes. And I think Scream in 2022 could probably work better. What has me maybe more excited is because, from a mainstream perspective, mainstream horror movies, slasher movies are not it anymore. Not like it was, say, what Scream was like, ninety mid-90s, 95-ish or something to that effect. So you're coming, at that time, you're coming off of the 80s with the proliferation of slashing movies. So it was a perfect time for that movie to come out. But you still was inundated by slasher movies. Now, slasher movies aren't the thing when it comes to mainstream horror movies that come out in the movie theater. So I'm interested to see how well this movie actually is and i'm excited for it which is i'm very surprised to say that so uh at the time of this recording scream is actually out in theaters now so i won't be going to the theaters here so i would definitely wait for it to come on whatever streaming service it comes on in the la- next couple of months I believe it's on distributed through Paramount. So, I think it'll be on Paramount Plus in about 45 days. I'll check back and let you guys know. If that's the case, I will definitely check it out when it comes to Paramount Plus. So, I'm going to take a break. And then when we come back, we have a whole, whole lot to get into. Some Doctor Who, some Alpha Flight, some Tech Talk, and some Fragrance of the Week. Anyway, back from the break. Now, I have made no bones about my lack of enthusiasm and displeasure for most of the current run of Doctor Who. I think that the story choices that Chris Chibnall has taken have been very detrimental to the series as a whole, at least especially New Who, as well as I think have done a humongous disservice to Jodie Whittaker and her time of playing the doctor. I cannot think of just really where she has had a chance to shine as the doctor during the course of the past few years of how the story choices that have been taken as well as just really just the overall dialogue of the doctor as well. Well, Doctor Who came back and I'm a little late because a little late in actually talking about it because I literally just finished the uh, current series which was only a six episode serialized miniseries, six or five, I forget exactly. I still have the New Year's Eve special uh, to watch, but it was called, this last season of Doctor Who was called Flux. And I will say that there were bright spots in what Chibnall has done. I think the season before this one started off good, uh, especially with the introduction, reintroduction of the Master. I liked uh, the actor, and I've said this before, who played the Master. And I liked the dynamic. I liked the, the bit of craziness that was there with the Master in this case. I just hated the season and the overall arcing storyline as to the doctor being the timeless child the doctor's not really a gallifreyan they experimented on her and took her power and adapted her power and physiology to their own and created a timeless society based on her with no real explanation of how was she from another dimension how is she? There were just so many things left to be unexplained, and then also this whole addition uh, of the first Doctor was not her first life. That she has been someone before that, with infinite number of possibilities of regenerations, up until we got to William Hartnell's Doctor, and this, these iterations, incarnations, work for the division and so on and so forth so it was a whole lot of backstory there that frankly it was so convoluted it was so the payoff sucked with the with basically Gallifrey being destroyed and being assimilated into Cybermen it was the whole that season was just so convoluted after such a great start so now we get to this current season of Flux and I will say, I am sad that it took so long for Chibnall to somewhat write this ship. I think that while not perfect, and I'll get to some of my reasons why, Flux is definitely the most compelling story that has come out of Doctor Who doing this run with Jodie Whitaker. This is the series where Jodie Whitaker actually got to shine. As to as the doctor, and she got a meaty story where she was actually able to make the doctor her own. Where this is the first storyline where I felt like, okay, this is the doctor. Uh, It wasn't as if the doctor was finding their way; like she was the doctor. So I was very impressed uh, with that. Just why did it take so long? It's like, hey, you're getting fired. Now you're going to give us something good or you're leaving. Whatever the circumstances may be. uh, I I really thought that overall it was a very satisfying experience uh, of science fiction. But more importantly, very satisfying Doctor Who story. It's not perfect. And that a lot of glaring holes and a lot of those holes are very typical of how Chibno has really stewarded the ship of Doctor Who in the past couple seasons but I'll get to those so I thought that the Reavers characters were entertaining but really got lost like you started off with this one Reaver and then the other Reaver getting getting uh, reactivated you really don't get a lot of the backstory other than they were imprisoned by the Doctor before William Hartnell's Doctor uh, you saw Joe later on that the the black female doctor we introduced to last season and that she was the one that imprisoned them but you don't really know where or how or when and you get to that as you go along in the storyline so I like them I like the evolution then they just got lost in the whole shebang and really how they were dealt with in the end was really just oh we need to find a way to get rid of them since we have really solved the central conflict which really came down to now this flux was this universe destroying um, I will say energy wave it really wasn't that but it's probably the best way to describe it and you assume that the Reavers were the ones that or the Reaver being released was the cause of the flux but at the end of the story, you really come to find out that it was the Division who caused the flux to literally destroy to destroy the universe to get rid of the doctor. It sounds like overkill. It really was overkill. But hey, that was the story. It worked, especially with the revelation that Division itself was in between dimensions, so as the actual structure of Division, you find out that Tech who was the Gallifrey woman who found the Doctor originally and experimented on her, was the one actually behind Division. Uh, I liked how that kind of book ended that story as well. I, I do. Um, Again, I said before, I dislike the retconning of Doctor Who with the time of child, but the payoff with the explanation of the vision and the subsequent destruction of uh, the vision was welcomed. Uh, I, I like that that is no longer on the table anymore. Now the doctor has all of her, their memories from previous to Hartnell and It'll be interesting how that plays a part in these subsequent shows that are coming before the ultimate um, ending of this iteration of Doctor Who. And the Dodie Whitaker got the ominous your time is coming to an end by the end of the episode. Um, I was I was so glad they didn't have her say, but I don't want to go like they did with David Tennant. So you know that's coming. I don't know how many specials there are. Before the actual changing of the guard. So to speak. But I hope we get a couple. To kind of just. Tie a nice bow on. A lot of these plot points. That have been established. And are still kind of out there lingering. Especially from the flux. I do like the way that the storyline. Incorporated Suntarns Because the Suntarns Came in. They were invading Earth on different points in time. And you're like, why are they invading Earth? And why are all of these factions kind of trying to take over when the universe is literally falling apart? So I I liked the explanation of that and how the Sontarans were using the Flux to wipe out uh, the Cybermen and the Daleks. Because Earth was protected from the Flux and Earth would really be that last bastion of that universe because of that protection i forget the dog race but their shielded ships were protecting them so i liked how that finally came to a, we got an explanation on that because before i was like okay none of this makes sense and even a double cross that happened with ultimately the destruction of all of the major bad guy faction from the santares to the cybermen to the Daleks at the end of the flux so I just am looking forward to how it's moving forward I did like Dan Um, Dan in my opinion was very much a throwback to the classic Doctor Who companions that sort of liftness but also he had that moxie I also and this is something that was kind of confirmed or is confirmed in the Uh, New Year's Eve special I sensed a lot of sexual tension between Yaz and the Doctor uh, very much like um, Rose and David Tennant's Doctor and I actually having that being confirmed it makes sense for that relationship dynamic uh, between the two because I always felt especially with the, the last season that ryan and his grandpa were kind of always the odd men out between yaz and the doctor's dynamic so i think ryan and his grandfather leaving was actually good for the story and character development for them um question i have how in the world did the grand serpent get to earth Um, In the midst of the story, you have some other side characters and there's one character called the Grand Serpent who you see who is the reason for a couple of the side characters being displaced and trying to find each other. But how did he get to Earth? Why was he involved in even the creation of Unit and I did like to see Unit come back I saw we saw the uh, Brigadier's daughter Kate Stewart come back as as well and have a major part to play toward the end so I liked that also but that explanation of him being there and him being involved there was none. so I'm like huh that didn't make any sense they had a throwaway line about the earth being a place for other races to come to try to establish supremacy because the rest of the universe is falling apart but that still didn't make any sense for him to be there even when it was revealed that his um he was in alliance with the Santarns still didn't make any sense so that's one big thing and the second big thing that I have to question as we go forward if most of the universe was destroyed in the flux and there's no sort of comment about the universe being restored to the end of the flux the universe is in shambles other than earth how are they going to address that going forward because that's something that unless there's a throwaway line or something in the the New Year's Eve special that I haven't seen yet how do you rectify all of the destruction all of the lost lives um, that happened because of the flux because with the flux The Earth was really the last man standing when it came to the universe. And everything else was wiped out. So I'm interested to see how this is really touched upon going forward as we end Chibnall's run. And come back to the new run which is eventually going to happen. I think it's next year. So that's my take on Doctor Who. Flux. I am... Very disappointed that it took us this long to get a good Doctor Who storyline, good, not great, not perfect, but a good Doctor Who storyline for Jodie Whittaker really to shine, more importantly. I I could have cared less who the Doctor was, whether it was women, black, white, whomever, and knowing some of the things Whittaker was in before Doctor Who, her talents were utterly wasted up until now. And I'm finally glad, even though it's just about the end, that she finally got his time or chance to shine as the doctor in the storyline. So that's my take on Doctor Who Flux. Now, we're running a bit long this week, so I'm going to cut out uh, Tech Talk. I'm going to move that to next week. And also, I think I'm going to cut out the long boxes where I had a really good old school comic Uh, to talk about this week but I'll move to next week and let's get straight into the hidden gems and this hidden gem is actually one that a lot of people don't know about I've never heard and I mean never heard everyone talk or anyone talk about this movie Uh, particularly because it's not exactly that great but I'm including it because it is a movie that I watched a whole lot during my childhood now if you are a child of the late 70s early 80s you know that the vcr was king and you watched anything you had that was dubbed on a vhs tape and one of those movies that i watched religiously all the time was transylvania six five thousand and this is a very quirky movie it's from 1985 it's american yugoslavian horror comedy not so much horror more comedy and off the wall um not even black comedy but it's just it's a weird movie about two tabloid reporters in this case they're played by Jeff Goldberg, Goldblum Goldblum and Ed Begley Jr. who travel to Maryland, Transylvania to uncover the truth about Frankenstein sightings along the way they encounter your normal horror movie staples a mummy a werewolf and a vampire but there's a twist to all of their characters and this movie featured Michael Richards from Seinfeld fame in one of his first movie roles Gina Davis, Carol King Um, there are a bunch of other people there that I can't think of off the top of my head and I enjoyed this movie so much as a child and what reminded me of is that it's currently streaming on Tubi it is not the best movie and there are probably some things that I found funny as a kid that I I won't find funny as a 43 year old but it is definitely one to watch especially looking at uh, 80s sort of comedy and where we've gone as far as movie making is concerned as well and also Jeff Goldblum is always hilarious uh, in these sort of movies and especially with and I believe at the time this was the second movie he was in with Gina Davis. Um, I think they were married around this time, if I remember correctly. I'm not entirely sure, but the the following year, he and Gina Davis did *The Fly*. So you see that on screen chemistry between the two uh, that definitely bleeds into Cronenberg's *The Fly* that you see in the pre uh, in the following year. So I definitely think that is a movie that you should look out for on Tubi just to find a mindless 80s comedy romp that's really you probably have never seen before because i like i said i've never heard anybody talk about this movie ever in my life outside of my house and i'm pretty sure my sister who watched it with me probably doesn't remember this movie either so it is pretty obscure but it's on to be right now if you are man enough or woman enough to or whatever you are um to check it out and that's transylvania 65000 and after that hidden gem we're going to follow up with the fragrance of the week and this is actually a fragrance i'm surprised that i haven't talked about before and this fragrance is called the dark heart of havana and it's by the company uh 4160 tuesdays and it includes top notes of sugar peach orange and grapefruit middle notes of tobacco coffee tonka bean jasmine and bergamot and base notes of vanilla musk and black pepper right there if you listen to my podcast you already know it's one that i absolutely adore uh, especially because of the base notes i'm a sucker for bases of musk and vanilla particularly at vanilla i love how vanilla in base notes how it gives a sweetness to whatever it is especially with that black pepper and that musk it's such a in my opinion masculine fragrance note or baseline for fragrance but that opening that sugar that peach that orange that grapefruit is such a a sweet and vibrant opening um, it really is deceiving because you get that opening and then you go into this really rich um earthy tobacco coffee tonka bean jasmine and bergamot i think the bergamot gets lost in this mix but you get that middle note and it's so earthy and it's so um uh soul stirring from uh from a tobacco i'm really enjoying a lot of these tobacco fragrances and notes It's interesting because before I got into fragrances, if you told me that tobacco would be this amazing note, I'm like, tobacco, really? You think of tobacco, you think of maybe pipe tobacco is probably the the best example of tobacco smells that are, are nice and pleasant, but you don't think about smelling like it on your skin. And, you know, talking about tobacco last week and even talking about CK1 shock and those tobacco notes that are there, tobacco really offers a or can offer a earthy sweet and sensual punch to a fragrance especially in a winter time which is another reason why I am focused on this one I really enjoy this one I've only had this sample for a while I needed to get a full bottle it's not cheap but it's not uber expensive either I forget how much it, it is but it's definitely a fragrance that if you can get your hands on a sample get your, get your hands on it, get your nose on it I particularly enjoy it. It's definitely one that you're going to get a lot of longevity and has pretty good projection as well, especially for the first hour, Uh, much like a lot of other tobacco based fragrances. I think that it's very intimate, but with this one, the sweetness of the opening really offers a playfulness, in my opinion, to the fragrance compared to some of the more sensual uh, earthy tobacco fragrances I've talked about uh, before. So I think it's one that's good. And I actually think that even though I think the base is, is a very masculine, I think with that sweetness and that sweetness to my nose carries throughout the middle and the base, I think it could be very unisex as well. I'm skewing it more toward the masculine side, but I, I can see this really... Uh, playing well with the ladies, also. So that's my take on The Dark Heart of Havana by 4160 Tuesdays. And with that, this has been another episode of the Sartorial and Geek podcast by Webster Style, where we talk about bow ties comic books. And everything in between, I have been your host, Webster Style, the man, the voice, the fragrance. Feel free to check us out on the web at websterstyle.com. Find us on Instagram at websterstyle and at SartorianGeek. Find us on Twitter at websterstyle, And of course, drop us an email at info at websterstylemagazine.com. Thank you again for your time. Thank you for your ear. Remember, be safe out there and stay blessed. I mean, this is me right here. Baby, you see this? Nah, this is, hold on. Look. If, I, I mean, I can change, I, I thought, never mind, forget it, forget it. I'm a Jenny, Jenny, Miffinny Muffin, hey, Infinity, hey, when me. it comes to the killing spree, hey, a.k.a. Hey, that's hey, the ensemble, hey, Boy, are you the enemy? Hey, if you're not hey, defending the presence of hey. Millie in the vicinity without a bow tie? Okay, I might have went over the edge, yeah. besides, I'm really left them clothes on them legs, and yeah. Strong, we can lift to the sky. The party starts to 12. Yeah, we it. got a little time, 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 time hey. to get hey. it on. Get and no fact, got the type of pussy on. We'll it and after that, I take a picture with the phone or the outfit. I'm, man, I'm choosing what we own. That was Tree Green Tuesday. Had to be Bowtie Thursday. Had to be White Wednesday. Uh, I don't Well, I know last time.